Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Michael, and welcome to Beyond the Screenplay, the podcast where each episode we do a conversational deep dive analysis into a film. Today, we are talking about Past Lives, the 2023 film written and directed by Celine Song. I'm joined by the Beyond the Screenplay team, Trisha Rand. Hello, everyone. Brian Bittner. Hello, hello. And Alex Cayetos. Hi. Uh, okay, so before we dive in, we are we're deep into our best winter season now, uh, last week we talked about acting, a little bit, a little bit about what is it, what do we like, and all the what we give awards to about it. We went into all the acting things over on the Patreon and just what do we give awards to about it? <laughs> that question we dive into and many it. other more. <laughs> so anyway, so last week we talked about conversation about acting. Next week we're going to be back with Dune Part Two. Alex is very excited. We're all excited. Uh, that's going to be fun. And we have been doing a What We're Watching series over on Patreon, where we watched every episode of the latest season of True Detective, True Detective Night Country, week by week, episode by episode. So if you want to hear all of our extensive thoughts on uh, that film, all six of those episodes are over on the Beyond the Screenplay Patreon, that show, excuse me. Um, so lots of things going on. All right, now we're going to talk about past lives. So because of a scheduling me being terrible at scheduling i <laughs> literally just finished this movie about 30 minutes ago uh the tear stains are still, I'm still having to wipe them away uh yeah. i so i knew nothing about this movie really like i knew it had a title and that people were like it's good it's nominated for things and that was basically all i knew and so i really wasn't sure what to expect at first, I was a little bit like, oh, is this going to be one of those, like, films, like one of the Sundance films where it's like, oh, it's, it's like lots of meaning and blah, blah, blah. Uh, <laughs> Get that out of my movies. <laughs> I hate them, yeah. <laughs> um, and it was just wonderful and lovely. It was the fourth part of the before trilogy that I didn't mm. know I wanted. Like, mm. it was, I feel like I haven't seen a movie like this and so long and I feel like refreshed and just like it was just so moving and immaculately executed. I went and looked up Celine's song and I was like, oh my gosh, I need to see all of her other movies. Wait, what? Uh, so I now get to look forward to all of her other movies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this was absolutely lovely. Also just really well written and structured the character arcs and how it all unfolds. It's amazing. I feel like the 
direction is exactly like holding the right amount of like, you know, artsy and meaning, but also generous and gentle and letting things play out in a way that isn't showy. Like, I don't know. I, it just really hit the spot for me. And I really, nice. really love this movie. So I'm glad we're talking about it. My, my partner and I were having dinner and I was telling her that you were probably watching the movie right at that moment, you know, and she's like, what do you think he's going to think? And I was like, I think he's going to love it. I'm, I'm not <laughs> yeah, sure, yeah, but yeah, I think yeah. so. So that's yeah. good to hear. No, yeah, it, it, it hit the spot. Uh, so, yeah, I'm very excited to talk about all the things. Um, Trisha, I think you saw this back at Sundance last year. Yeah, uh, I caught this movie at Sundance and it was one of those experiences where it's just like, a movie hits you in the chest, like in the best possible way with all the bittersweetness and the longing. Um, the music this time really reminded me of eternal sunshine. Right. And there's a call out mm -hmm. in the movie to eternal sunshine. Mm -hmm. And you can see the influence here of that. And we've all talked about how much we love that movie. And um, yeah, just the, like the possibilities and the tension simmering in every scene or it's it's such a palpable emotion um and at the same time it feels really well structured it feels really delicately written performed um there's so much restraint and yet so much here like it's still so rich to, uh the performances and, and every word of the text, like feels like every single word of the text is chosen so carefully. Um, it's just lovely. It's just lovely and wonderful. I'm so happy to see it get recognized as I always am with these little gems that like I got to see. I'm like, yay, you going all the way. Go, go. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's awesome. Uh, I will say watching it again, you know, I had this impression of it in my mind as being this like, gorgeous little film that I just loved. And it is still that when I watched it again this time yesterday in preparation for this podcast, knowing how it goes and feeling like a little bit more settled in the scenes so I, I could take them apart a little bit more, um, I could start to see the seams uh, to an extent. Um, not that that's necessarily a bad thing. That's maybe me just like looking really hard for them. Um, and when there are seams, that means there was construction and very deft construction at that. Um, but they are there, I think. Uh, and I do kind of want to talk about them as we get into it. I think there are, at least for me, the second time around, I wonder if this is just one of those movies not to watch again <laughs> or, <laughs> or like, um, yeah, I don't know, to to try to put yourself in the headspace of it arriving to you new, I think is maybe the exercise that you need to try to do or like not anticipate it or or I don't know, maybe not look at it in the way that I was looking at it this time around. But yeah, I still adore it. I mean, it's 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 wonderful. Um, and it, it really I don't know the pacing too. I want to get to. Because even watching it again and knowing what happened and, like I said, studying it with a magnifying glass, it still didn't feel slow to me. And for a movie that's so light on plot, that's a feat in and of itself. It's really amazing. So, yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, I think the seams, I, I could feel the seams as well. And I, I do think it'd be interesting to talk about them because I feel like it's instructive, like when someone gets like 
an A minus on a test instead of an A. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, like let's look at those things. It's like you did everything else so well. So like, I don't know. I feel like that'll be very instructive and we can extract a lot of lessons from mm -hmm. that because there's so much good happening here. Um, cool. And so Alex, I think you saw it a while ago also. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I saw it when it first came out in theaters, uh, wide, wide release. Um, and yeah, I also loved it. Uh, it, I think I went and maybe just saw it by myself and it was a great movie to just go see by myself oh, yeah. and just, just, just relax in the theater. Nobody around me to like put their expectations, you know, in the vicinity of me about the movie. I could just take it for what it was. And I no annoying away. husband to be there just being like, <laughs> yeah, I exactly. love you, like whatever. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I think, you know, we've talked about this before where sometimes I, I, I comment like, did I did I think this way about this movie? Because like Michael was next to me and then I, mm -hmm. I sensed his like negative energy at this moment. Or was it me? Like I'm a little too receptive to the the energy around me watching a movie. So it's great going to see like a blockbuster. And everybody's like really into it. I'm like, ah, that was hell. Yeah, it's really awkward when I take like a friend to see an indie movie and they're not like into it. And then I feel awkward that I dragged them there and they're shifting and it's like, oh no. <laughs> anyway, this movie could have gone that way for like, you know, a friend who's not good at watching movies. I'm glad I didn't go with a friend who's not good at watching movies because I love this movie and it was a beautiful experience. And I think it's because it tapped into that bittersweet thing, which I think mm -hmm. I've mentioned before, the bittersweet thing is I think the most impressive emotion to nail because mm -hmm. uh, it just feels the most poignant and real and kind of pertains to life itself. So any film that is kind of awash in this bittersweet emotion just always feels like truth and leaves me feeling like you said, Michael, just almost I walk away feeling cleansed and good and achy in a lovely way. That's both like it's a, that's like kind of um, not draining in the way that like a real dark, depressing movie would be, but, you know, almost like life affirming and and, and full. Uh, so, yeah, I just I, I love movies that can do that. And this movie did that. And and it, it, it's right up there with like you were saying, Michael, kind of before trilogy, um, as far as just a movie that somehow I am uh, most of the time really riveted by. And it's just two people walking and talking for the majority of the movie or even not walking and talking, talking on screens. Mm -hmm. um, mm. And that's also just very impressive. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's there's like a chief way to get it bittersweet. And I think that's kind of mm. what I was afraid of, because when this movie started, I kind of right. tuned right. into, oh, OK, we're going to you're going to make me care and then but not give me everything and are going to try to hurt me. But the way it handled it was just so like generous and getting at this truth and, and felt like a fresh new experience that was celebratory and not there to kind of beat me into emotional submission, but felt like a gift. Like how how everyone involved managed to do that, I'm very impressed by. I feel like I haven't seen a new version of that in a long time. Right. Mm -hmm. Also say there's there's like an the opposite version where it, a movie is so afraid to look cheap or to be too emotional that it goes so in the kind of cold, no affect direction Yeah, where it's like, this is so profound because look how you know dead they are inside and how <laughs> they can't express themselves at all with each other. But these performances are really sweet. And, you know, in the, their early Skype calls, there's like this sweet, giddy energy. So it's not that either, you know, because that was what I was afraid of. I was afraid that it's one of these Sundancy movies where it's like, 
look how much restraint there is. So much restraint, in fact, that you feel nothing. <laughs> um, but I felt a lot watching this movie. Yeah, yeah, so much. Brian, what about you? Yeah, I mean, just going off of that, this movie, like, it just hit home for me in a really, in that kind of uncomfortable but awesome way, you know, the first time where it was like, and not even hits home in that way of like, oh, I've been exactly here, or like, this makes me think about this exact relationship as much as it's just, there is a, an emotion being evoked that I wasn't sort of prepared for that just kind of hit me on this gut level. Weirdly, La La Land did that for me, this sort of like dreamy, like move into LA and, you know, her whole life. And then like the slow disillusionment of it, you know, <laughs> or like even high fidelity, like weird movies for me where it's just like, there's something about it that just goes like, I am going just a direct line to your soul. And there's like some emotional tangent here that we share. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I watched it with my partner the first time and we just both like, it's just our kind of movie a hundred percent. So we were just totally there the whole time and talking about it afterwards and everything. Um, and, uh, interesting Trisha, because I watched it today the second time and I did realize how much, and it wasn't even seeing the seams. It was more just how much work the suspense of not knowing what was going to happen yeah. did the first time. Um, and, uh, and I was just kind of like, oh yeah, like I am not on the edge of my seat the way that I was the first time where I'm just like really wondering what's going to happen. But at the same time, by the end and that final 20 minutes of the movie, you know, the bar scene into the long walk into the coming back to that, I was just like, yep, <laughs> you did it. You did it again. And it's just, it's just a, a beautiful movie to just linger in, you know, kind of like we're talking about a movie like a uh, virgin suicides or something, these movies that just feel like I just want to be in this space mm -hmm. and just watch these people and just kind of listen to this music and cinematography and the, the like shot composition, which we'll get into and stuff. Just really, really like everything is 10 out of 10 in this movie, I think. Um, and the other thing I was thinking is, I don't know if this is me being sort of like, like confirmation bias thing, but I felt like it was a really interesting, like a beautiful blend of Korean and American cinema where there was like a texture to the movie that kind of reminded me of some Korean cinema. Uh, you know, I'd seen like Park Chan-wook or, or, or some kind of Bong Joon-ho things, but then it very much is this New York romance drama that feels very familiar. feels very like almost when Harry met Sally kind of, kind of vibes to it, you know? And I just thought it was, it, that's another thing about this movie that just made it feel sort of special and unique was that it didn't feel like it was just a regurgitation of another movie that I'd seen before. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Like, I think there's, you can remix things in a way that is just sort of like hanging a lantern on each thing and like, Oh, I'm going to copy and paste this shot from this movie that I like into here and this shot from over here and can be a mishmash because you're you're just sort of putting things together without blending them and making something new and this movie felt like something new to me it felt like it was making homages to things but not but understood why that technique was used in eternal sunshine or why that right. technique was used in before sunrise like those things it just felt like a done by someone who really understood like appreciated the work that they were being influenced by enough to, you know, know it top to bottom and use it mm -hmm. like intelligently, not just for the like, oh, I like that thing. And that's, <laughs> it's so rare to see that. And I feel like the, the story, you know, it also really hit me. I, I wrote down the note, this feels like a great example of something so specific being so universal where 
I, mm-hmm. I feel like this is a story that lots of people can relate to. I then realized that I did have a crush on a girl in second grade and we were supposed to get married, but then she moved suddenly to Texas and it like broke my heart. And that's when I was, you know, listening to the Lion King soundtrack, like sitting upside down <laughs> on my couch, like with headphones on. Just in second grade, you were already Aww. that way. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> this makes so much sense. Hold on, you did say the Lion King soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. Right? the can you feel the love to, like, oh, yeah, sitting yeah. upside down Not, with the, I just can't wait to be king or yeah. Yeah, you're right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh and then we like later found each other on Facebook. Anyway, so maybe mm. it's not as like universal as, as I thought because it's actually similar to me. But there is just something about I feel like it captures this sort of yeah, this unique relationship and also kind of unique to our time where we can find mm-hmm. people, right? That sort of we talked right. about how before sunrise wouldn't have worked if it had been set in the 2000s. And so this is sort of an interesting modernization of how something like that could still happen. So appreciated all of that with it too. Well, and once again, the specificity is where the universality lies, right? Like when she starts up Skype mm-hmm. and yep. you hear the like Skype bloop, 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 music, <laughs> it was right around that time that I was in a, a long distance relationship with an Australian guy. And our primary means of talking was on Skype. Mm. And like, I was just like (laughs) knocked over by (laughs) the memories of like trying to connect to a person on the other side of the world, Mm -hmm. right? That you really care about and you really want to like make that relationship work. Um, And then the technology, we have to talk about that montage because that montage um, is amazing and so well put together. But yeah, yeah, the specificity of how their lives have been like, the exact timeline of, you know, the 90s to the present day, those 24 years, um, it only works like on that timeline. Otherwise, you have to end up translating it into these other things or other times. And um, yeah, it's just not as elegant. Right. And and of course, we have to name the autobiographical element of this, which Celine Song has admitted. Um, and, you know. Many, many things about Nora's journey in this are, uh, you know, kind of the the outlines of some of Nora's choices echo the outlines right of Celine Song's life and um, and her husband, also a writer in New York. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's really interesting to there's that meta aspect to watching the movie, too, where it's like for us that are in our 30s now, the timeline is our timeline. And then mm-hmm. also there's the meta narrative of like, and Celine Song too lived this exact timeline and potentially a similar situation to what we're watching. So it has that ring of truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't know anything about her or the movie like going into it. Um, but then as the movie was going, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm assuming there's a lot of autobiographical stuff going on here. And then it was the at a certain point I went, oh, I bet she's a playwright. And the scene that made me think, obviously the the character is, so if you're thinking autobiographical stuff, but it was the scene where they're getting ready for bed after she, uh, after she sees him for the first time, sees Hae Sung for the first time. And 
the whole scene is just that one shot, right? With, with Arthur in the foreground and she's in the background and we were like be able to read his emotions, but then she's back here talking. And that was the moment where I went, I bet she's a theater, like a playwright and a, and a theater director because, and then, and then you realize there are a lot of those foreground background shots in the movie where it's just, we, this is the proscenium arch, right? And we are sitting here and we are watching and we are only seeing the information that is being delivered to us from this angle. Um, and then it was cool to look up her story and see like this actually happened to her she was like talking in in a bar with like you know korean high school sweetheart or like elementary school sweetheart here and then the husband here and just being like this there's something really happening here and i need to turn this into a movie so very very glad she did yeah well we talked about in our conversation about acting you know sort of we didn't use this word but like vanity projects and like you know the worst the worst case scenario of someone saying, I want to turn my life into a thing, or I want to right. make this thing to be a vehicle for me to show off. Have you heard about Jennifer Lopez's new movie? I've heard some <laughs> tell. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And so I guess that's another thing I was impressed by, though, in this movie is as I was putting those pieces together and sort of realizing something similar, like, oh, this is clearly like autobiographical it still didn't feel like vain in any way. It still felt like mm-hmm. it had been constructed generously for an audience to go on a journey. And like this was being done for me as an audience member and not for the filmmaker. Right. And I think that's a, a very tricky thing to do. Because there's a theme. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and because it's a movie, right? Like at the end of the day, right. this movie does know it's a movie, even though there are these play-like constructions to it. Um, and we talked about with Whiplash, um, another, you know, Sundance debut um, with semi-autobiographical sort of like inspiration to that story. We talked about how you can take something that happened to you. Um, and if you know what the theme is at the heart of what you want to explore about it, that makes it possible to fictionalize it in a way that is useful to others. <laughs> Right. Um, right. And fascinating and meaningful to others. Uh, If you just say a thing that happened without understanding what it's about, then that's when it, I think, starts to feel like that vanity project. Um, Yeah. Or if you um, and then, you know, if you make it like overly dramatic or you like fictionalize it or dramatize it for its own sake without understanding the theme at the heart of it, then you're just kind of like splashing it up on the wall and being like, look at this thing that happened, my pain. Um, (laughs) Which, you know, again, that we can tell. Like there's something in an audience that's like, I don't know. I don't know if you really have anything to say about it other than this happened. Right. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't thinking about talking about this, but it feels like a good little mini lesson here, which is I wrote, I recently wrote a, a script based on some of my friends growing that I grew up with. So, of course, I had them read it and one of them read it and he said, oh, yeah, I remember going to that that concert, but I don't remember, you know, such and such being there. I was like, oh, no, those two things happened three years apart. Like, that's not the point. The point is, like, I took those things and made it did the best I could to make it script. It wasn't about I have to tell what really happened to me and this is exactly when things happen. No, it's about it's about taking those things that inspire you. But then exactly what you're saying theme plot you know like like make sure that i like, turn that into something that actually feels coherent and like a good story not just i have to I have to tell it the way it really was talking about how this is inspired you know 
from her own life, I can feel that real life inspiration in just the generosity and the honesty of the characters, like uh, of her portrayal of the characters. Um, I think a lot about her husband's character in this movie um, and just how interesting and honest that relationship and that character is. Even their first kiss, I love that first kiss because she's essentially like giving him an okay to kiss her. And she he's like nods. She's like, you can do it. It's yeah. Okay. And it's like, that's actually probably how a lot of first kisses happen. You know, they don't happen like the movie where it's just the man lunges or whatever. Um, yeah. you know, it, it, that, that's like a very real, honest, genuine, sweet first kiss. Um, and then just his character throughout the whole second half of the movie, it's really kind of refreshing to see like a vulnerable, insecure man who mm -hmm. is not also portrayed as also like a disgusting loser for being vulnerable sure. and insecure you know like right. i think the movie doesn't treat him as like wretched you know he maybe even thinks of himself as wretched you know he he has a low self-esteem but the movie kind of yeah it it's it's exploring these dynamics that happen in a relationship when one partner you know, as he voiced, isn't sure why she's with him and doesn't really understand what she likes about him. Um, and I just I thought I, I just haven't seen that much. You know, usually either men are like very confident and cocky in 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 a relationship in a film or they're kind of like the pathetic guy who we should agree is pathetic. And obviously she should leave him for the other dude. Right. Um, and I, I thought it was just so refreshing and, and it felt more real than ever to have a character like this that just seems yeah like like more people that I actually know in life, which is men who are insecure, uh, but still very generous and sweet and are just trying to do the right thing. Um, that's like more people than not. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like so I agree. Weirdly, like his character was the thing that felt like maybe not quite up to par in terms of like how how it was realized like in comparison with the other two. And I think there were just some moments where like the motivations for him felt weird where like, I feel like if, you know, if you really want to pretend like you're okay with this, this isn't how you pretend like you're okay with this. Or I don't know, there was just something in, yes, something about him and how he was rendered didn't quite feel as like hit on the nose. Perfect to me as the mm. rest and not like bad. I think it like did what it needed to do, but there were just some moments where I, I was like with that character and I was like in the headspace and I'm like, yeah, yeah. And then there'd be like a long moment of like, he's, why is he just not saying anything for a while? Or like, why is he mm. choosing to say this or do that action that kind of felt incongruous with what, what, where I thought he was uh, with the psychology. And so, yeah, it's just interesting that I, I agree it was an, a cool character, but that was, you know, that long scene with them in the bed was the one time that I sort of like Same. checked my watch and was like, I don't know that this needed to be this long. And again, this is the the minus on the egg, uh -huh. like still good. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I think I was thinking about why I feel that way about Arthur's character. And I think the issue for me is that we like he he without a doubt is the third wheel um not just in the relationship but he is the third lead in the script 
So he really is given the least screen time. So the ability to render him with as much dimensionality and like context for him, like he doesn't exist very much outside of the boundaries of Nora um, and her life. We see like one scene of him signing books in a bookstore and pretty much the rest of everything that we see from him when she comes home from like the first date or the first time she sees Haesung, um, she says, you know, he's sitting there playing video games. He's like on screen two seconds before she walks in. But other than that, he's pretty much only there when she is there in a different way than the other two characters. We are we have so much access to the interior lives, especially of Nora. Obviously, she's a protagonist. Um, but also of Haesung, like we, we know a decent amount about who he is, what he wants. Um, I wish we actually knew a little more cause he's definitely feels like a tear down from her where it's like, you know, I wish that I had seen, um, the scene where he meets presumably his girlfriend when he's in China, right? Like he goes to China and then we see that scene where he's eating in the restaurant and he looks up and looks at that girl and then she, they kind of smile at each other. I wish I had a little bit more. I was like, maybe let let this scene last a couple more seconds so I can kind of see who Sung is outside of Nora and outside of that particular relationship in his life. Because um, all I have is him drinking in a bar with his friends most of the time, um, which is fine. Th- those scenes are are interesting and they do like good character work for him. Um and it provides some context for his character. And then, you know, the other ways that we see him too, even just like the way he like marches in the army and sits and eats his sad army meal. Like <laughs> those are doing character work. Um, but yeah, the problem is that Nora is rendered with so much clarity. Like I have this crystallized, clear vision of who Nora is, what she wants, what her every decision that she makes is about. Like every time she's struggling with something, I know what she's struggling with and why. Like I just have Nora um, as a character. And then I have a son. I'm he's there. I'm I'm with it. And then Arthur is just kind of struggling. Like, I agree with you, Alex. It's more than we normally get from this kind of character. And that is lovely and refreshing. But I still don't think it's quite enough. And there's something, too, in that scene in the bed where um, I kind of there's something about their relationship that feels bumpier to me than the movie wants it to feel to me. Like, I don't it's kind of what you're saying, Michael, where it's like he's saying this thing. Does he not know her? Like, that's not the right thing to say to Nora in this situation. Like, there's something weird where the movie wants to sell me on the depth of this relationship and their rhythm together and their language together. And sometimes it does that. And then there are other times where I'm like, bro, you gotta be a little cooler. Like, this is not the way (laughs) to get what you want from Nora in this scene. And like, she's going to tolerate it because the script calls for that, but it doesn't, it kind of bumps against what otherwise the movie is. I feel like trying to put together about their relationship, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And and I was thinking like, there's, there's almost like three different things that are all happening at the same time in this movie. Sometimes they work in concert and sometimes I think it's maybe why they're kind of bumping against each other. 
And one of which is the sort of intimacy and vulnerability of this movie, you know, as we were talking about, like, like, and, and just these moments of like, we're really getting into these people's private lives, you know, it, even, you know, Alex talked about Arthur's vulnerability when he's just like, has his leg on her, you know, when they're like figuring out <laughs> exactly. what to do or whatever. And then, Hey Sung, I really, I was watching him more than anyone this time, the second time he has these moments where he like starts to do something and then kind of changes his mind. Cause he's uncomfortable. Like when he's like posing for the picture and there's just something so real feeling about mm -hmm. that. Right. But then uh, working against that maybe is this sort of play theater thing that we talked about with like Banshees of Inisherin, like these movies that feel like like they are about they are. So, um, there is like a theatricality to them almost that kind of gives us the separation. So, you know, like when when Hayson comes in and then Arthur comes out like in, the, in their apartment and they just kind of stand there and like look at each other or whatever. I feel like I'm I feel like a narrator is supposed to come on and be like, well, they looked at each other for several <laughs> seconds before anyone spoke or whatever. Right. Where it almost feels like I am watching something a little more theatrical, a little more staged. And um, and those two things, again, sometimes they work together and sometimes they're maybe at odds because it's like, wait, am I watching this really real thing or am I watching this kind of bigger theatrical thing? And then separately from that is what I call the sort of like New York movie where you have, I just, I realize whenever I watch like Woody Allen, Lena Dunham, uh, Nora Ephron, where it's just like these characters who are like really self-aware and like are really like mm -hmm. introspective, you know, and just sort of like, I think I did that because I was upset with you yesterday, you know, or whatever. Right. <laughs> but then, but then they just say what's on their mind, you know? And it's just like the, 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 like there, it's not subtext. It's just, these characters are are just saying what they, they know what they're thinking and they're saying it out loud and they're saying it to each other. And normally that's not good screenwriting, but it feels, but it's this whole like almost subgenre of movie where these characters, it's like, no, that's how these characters are. The subtext is one more level below or a movie can still be understated even with that text happening there. Um, so, you know, just the whole, that whole scene I was talking about, you know, just, are you attracted to him? I don't know, I don't think so, right? Like the fact that he can ask that and, and rather than just like it's subtext where he kind of we see him as we're used to mm -hmm. in movies is kind of being like, hmm, you know, and then he like follows them. Right. Or whatever. He's like, you know, look at her phone, look at her text or something. Right. It's just like, no, he just asks her. And then she gives an honest answer, which is, I don't know. I don't I don't think so. I don't know. You know, and it was just it, there is something really refreshing about that. But it but it can also be jarring because we're not used to characters just being that honest with each other in movies. Yeah, I think maybe that's why all this stuff didn't bump for me as much is because because of that New York movie, this time and place, these kinds of people, um, you know, artists, writers um, who are, are probably yeah, too self-aware, too introspective. I think these kind of conversations are quite realistic. And I agree the scene in the bed kind of goes on a little too long, but it also felt real in a way. You know, I think I've been that person where I'm really bothered by something. I can't let it go. I still feel unsettled and bothered. So I just find a new way to ask a different question about the same emotion that's bothering me. Um, and even if the person it's not a good strategy, you know, for the loved one, like I, I, I think that's all that that all was part of what was making me feel like, oh, shit, this is like really real. Um, and it's not necessarily good, like movie writing in the sense that where we normally judge a scene by characters, yeah, not saying what they think, not trying a strategy over and over again that is like failing. Um, but in some ways, this art character of Arthur seems like the kind of guy that would. <laughs> so. I think this is just really interesting 
like hearing all of our thoughts on all of this. And that that's kind of what's cool about this movie. Cause I'm realizing, I think there's space in this movie for you to bring yourself into it. Like mm-hmm. Trisha, when you were saying like, I totally got Nora, like, Hey, song, not so much. I was kind of the opposite where I was like, I am in his head. I understand this person 100%. I feel your pain, my friend. Uh, and she was like a little bit of like a mystery to me. It's still like, but like, but what do so like, I think there's also just there are kind of archetypes here that I think we can see ourselves in. And I think what's just interesting is like for so much of the movie, I was in sync with whatever was happening. And that was just the one moment where I didn't feel as in sync with the headspace of the character. And like, you know, I think blunt honesty can work in and scenes and in dialogue when it's a manifestation of like a defense mechanism like i think you know that's one way to protect yourself is to be like overly like sharing and like upfront and like here's what i'm and it but i think you have to know the audience has to know what the character wants and is either protecting or is trying to get the answer to and i feel like in that section of the movie i i wasn't sure is nora actually like in love with this guy and actually feeling good or is she ambivalent and the movie kept trying to tell me, like, I guess I couldn't quite figure out what the movie wanted me to feel about that and not in the good way that I think the movie wanted me to be feeling about it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yes. And I think you hit on something earlier, too, Brian, where there is a, a staginess to it a little bit um, in a way that doesn't feel like super as grounded and realistic as some other parts of the movie do um, where it's like when they first see each other in the park in New York mm-hmm. and he's like, yeah, fiddling, like standing awkwardly. Uh-huh. And then she uh-huh. walks up and she stands there for way too mm-hmm. long <laughs> with this super ambiguous look on her face. Like, I'm not going to give you anything. You have to guess what I'm feeling, bro. <laughs> like, I'm just like, make a fake. Like, this is not how people are. You don't stand there and stare at your childhood sweetheart and make him guess. Like, if you're going to walk over or just like, it's just a weird theatrical thing to do, right? That long of a pause for her to like stand on the other side of the park. And I think that's where I start to feel it, where I'm like, who is this pause for? It feels like it's for me, the audience, to wonder what she's thinking. Not mm-hmm. That's not something a human person would do to Sung right now. Like, that's right. not a fair thing. You would make a huge smile. You would run over there and be like, hey, how's it going? Wow, it's been such a long time. Or whatever you're going to do, right? I just feel like they're, some of those pauses are, yeah, three beats too long where it feels like they're for me. And to be clear... Tension, the movie. I'm here for it. I like Mm -hmm. it. Like, there's so much of it here. Um, But yeah. And the problem is, the movie is so good earlier in its pacing. Like, it's Mm -hmm. so taut earlier. We talked about that montage. We talked about even the first act. The first act is... I want to talk about that more. yeah, Yeah. Is incredible. The way that the characters are, like, I love the way that the dialogue is delivered and... The sort of, um, yeah, the way the scenes are like crafted and put together and feel like they're all, they just feel so interconnected and so lived in and realistic and like they move along so quickly, but the point is always clear and, and like delivered, but not over delivered. It's lovely. 
And so as it gets later, I'm just like, okay, I I see this is going to be awkward. Let's really sit in how awkward it is. Thanks Mm. for telling me movie. Yeah, and those time jumps early on are so refreshingly yep. efficient. Just yeah. right, twelve years later, awesome. Yeah. The one thing I'll say though about those those sort of awkward moments is it there is something there is something about it that like it feels wrong in a way that that works for me in some ways. Like I, I also have that feeling you're talking about, but also there's I think there's just a fascinating performance thing to watch specifically Greta Lee just like decide you know in the in the in the whole last scene which obviously we'll talk about like uh on the street where she's like i i'm going to open my body to this person i'm going to look at him or when they're just kind of sitting on the uh, on the steps and they and they start kind of looking at each other like there is something about and again it's theatrical right but there is something about like i need you whenever you're ready, I need you to turn your body and face this other character. You know, if that takes you 60 seconds, then it takes you 60 seconds. Um, so I do think that there is, even though I felt all those things you, that you're talking about, Trisha, I also think there's something really fascinating um, from an acting perspective, watching watching what they're internalizing during those moments. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. To be absolutely clear, I am nitpicking. Oh yeah, but 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 I also but I also the, the those are the moments. Those are the moments where the movie is yeah. like something is off here, whether that's on yeah. purpose or whether it's because it, it wasn't done in a way that we feel that feels organic to us, yeah. right? Yeah, I do want to circle back to the beginning because this is what happens sometimes when we see an an awesome movie and there's that mm. A minus is that like we yeah, get know, like myopically focused on, but like right. why wasn't this one part yeah. as perfect? We're as broken. The, rest the of problem it? is us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> This is not this is not normal. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like you were just saying, Trisha, this movie starts off with a bang emotionally anyway. Like so that that first shot I felt like was so effective. And in some ways it's doing yeah. something that many movies have done. Sort of the fight club thing, like put the ending at the beginning mm-hmm. and just like put the question in the audience's mind. But that perspective of we're we're seeing what this couple that we can't see, but we're hearing their conversation, seeing of like, who who are they to each other? Like just asking that question, right? The question mm-hmm. of the movie, like bam, at the beginning. And the performances in that shot is like, wait, yeah, what are they? Like, I want to know. Like my She's sitting closer to Arthur, but she's focusing on right. something. Yeah, it's very So my interest was peaked immediately. So I just loved that. And then the like 24 years earlier that sequence them i don't know where they got these kids like mm-hmm. i just so believed the relationship yeah. between these kids and it it does almost all of the work like i'm so invested in them being friends and i'm so heartbroken that wonderful shot full of symbolism where she's going mm-hmm. up the stairs and he's going that way and they're separated. I'm like, I see you movie. And also I'm feeling you movie. Like I want to play what's, what's going to happen. Also kind of stolen from parasite, which is also where I was getting oh, that kind of, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, but in a beautiful way. Yeah. So yeah, I was just very impressed with how that s- sequence sets up you know, just from a screenplay plot wise, all the questions that we want to have sets the audience focused on the right thing that you're going to be focused on for the rest of the movie, but was also executed in this way that was, it didn't feel rushed, but like it was a Trisha, the pacing felt good. Like I wasn't bored. It didn't feel like it was languishing. It was lovely without being too over the top. Like there was just something 
really lovely in those first 10 minutes that kind of completely won me over, like in spite of myself. And I thought it was very impressive. The thing that struck me this time watching those first 10, 15 minutes was that it doesn't seem like Sung knows that she's leaving, right? Like, it seems like the preparations have been going on in her house for a while, right? We see them walking up the street and they're talking about grades and like comes first in class, right? Um, and then we see her father packing and they're talking about their names that they're going to pick, their English names that they're going to pick. Um, and it seems, again, like the preparation has been there for like quite a while. The family must have known they're moving for a while. But we then we see the date that they go on, that their play date that their mom set up for them, um, which is so cute and like just oh, pitch perfect, like for the age. It's so sweet and innocent and lovely. And um, where they're yeah in that park with the statues and just playing. And, um, and then the next, like the only indication that we see of her telling him that she's leaving is when she's saying it in class to somebody else. She's just like talking to her other friends and she's like, oh, yeah, we're going. Are you never coming back ever? No. Like, why do you want to go? You know, oh, well, I want to win a Nobel Prize for literature. Like and she's like not engaging with what just happened between them. Their car ride home where we last left them, where they're holding hands and she's like sleeping on his shoulder and he just looks like the happiest kid who's ever existed. We go from that to like, oh, I'm just leaving. Okay. Um, And, you know, kind of is what kids are in some ways. But also that control of information is masterful. Like the movie is dodging around some of the most salient questions in that relationship. Like a bad way to do this would be she tells him on the date. He's like, well, when are you coming back? Well, let's stay in touch. How can I write to you in Canada? And the movie doesn't do any of that. It just keeps the focus on these two people who have this rhythm. They're happy together. And then the control of information, the slow realization he doesn't know. And then by the minute that you realize he he I don't think he knew about this. It's all over. Right. And he just has nothing to say but goodbye. So sad. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. And so then we 12 years passed, which was an interesting choice. We talked. Yeah. Like not year later. Years like it's a very clear 12 years past now. Anyway. Um, yeah. And then so you were talking about that that montage trip of them like talking for the first time. And that scene felt fresh and new to me somehow again and it's just it's people talking to each other on screens we've seen that a ton at this point and i'd have to watch it again to really understand like when they were showing you know when we're with a person in their space and hearing the other person or seeing the other person on the screen i feel like there's something in how that was handled in the editing that like mm -hmm. just like i don't know it brought me into the world in a unique way and then there's sort of that transition because that, that montage, it sort of goes into montage mode where the music comes in and then we start seeing shots of the city. And so it's sort of like time passing, like we're, we're seeing that their conversation kept going, but it was somehow doing both a time past thing 
and was filling me with like emotion and sort of thematic imagery of like these two cities. They're super far away and like out of the mm-hmm. crowd of all these like humans, like there's this like connection, this like little light that reaches across. Like I was feeling things during the time passes transition montage. And I feel like it was just, it, it managed to not, it never settled for, and now we're going to convey the time past. It was always trying to convey what's happening in the story and didn't let go of that to do a simple movie thing, which I really appreciated. And it helps that the cinematography is just gorgeous also in this movie. Yeah. And yeah. It's very well done. It's yeah. funny because I just watched this movie maybe three months ago or something for the first time. And I totally forgot about the entire the middle sequence there, that 12, that middle 12 years mm-hmm. um, or yeah, middle you know what I'm trying to say. Um, and uh, but I but I was just thinking watching it this time, I was just like, oh yeah, it's so smart to have this, but like we don't introduce husband until basically act two, right? So that way we are full of this relationship. We've spent an entire act with these characters, and then and it's like if you if you're if part of your theme of your movie is it's complicated, right? Then it's like, you got to complicate us. And and it's like almost in my memory, if you'd ask me, like, what's the movie about? It'd be like, oh, but these two kids who like, you know, really like each other. And then fast forward in time, she's married. And then, uh, and then he comes back into her life. Right. Um, and you know, that movie would be, a, I'm sure you could make that movie. Right. But it's just, it's so smart to give us so much time with them in this, in this first act so that we are so invested in their relationship. And then we have to spend the rest of the movie going, Oh, but, but <laughs> now what, what do I do? What do I do with this? I did the time check this time around and it's, it's the break into two mm-hmm. where she tells him she doesn't want to talk to him on Skype anymore. Oh, so the first 15 minutes is in Korea. The second 15 minutes is that middle act or like that middle. Yeah. Act one B. <laughs> I don't know what you want to call that. Is where they're that like montage where they're reconnecting and the romance is really, you know, um, heating up and we can see how well they get along. The chemistry is there, even though they're yet framed in these different cities and all this stuff. Um, And a part of that's a big time, you know, the time in their lives, too, where it's like there's possibility for both of them, but like stuff isn't realized. We get that sense of excitement from them about their lives and what's happening. Yeah, that's that second 15 minutes of the first act. And then the break into two is when she says, I don't want to talk to you anymore, but I'll be back before you know it. Right. And then we get that the middle act is all Arthur, basically. Um, where she goes to the fellas or the writer's residency. Um, and then, yeah, she's writing there. She meets Arthur, all of that stuff from then on. Um, and then it's the midpoint where he says he's coming to visit. So it's, it's really interesting. The, the 15 minute sort of chunks of this that I think you're absolutely right, Brian. It's not how I would have like initially structured it in my mind. Um, but I think it's genius. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, I think, I paused it when they met in New York. And I think that was actually the exact midpoint was like mm-hmm. when they were at the fountain. So it was oh, a yeah. really perfect midpoint yeah. uh, structure there. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree that it, the movie does a really good job setting us up 
also with her character, you know, not being a hopeless romantic at heart, you know, right. like she likes this guy. There's obviously she's, she's kind of giddy. She's running home to talk to him when they're reconnecting. But first and foremost, she she came to this country to do something and she's going to do it. You know, it's it's an immigrant story. And she is has always from a childhood is portrayed really clearly as a strong singular character who's like very self-confident knows what she wants is going to go for it so it also that also earns the cutting off of the skype calls you know it's not out of nowhere it's not kind of random her just being crazy or something it's it's she needs to focus she needs to go and do this thing she came here to do and she's honest you know when are you going to actually move to new york is that really ever going to happen when can i even go to korea like should i be spending all my time investing in this thing that is not maybe going to go anywhere and i also so i just love that about her character as well that she is established early on and consistently as someone who is not putting these kind of romantic feelings at at the top of her priority list like her priority is this mission she's on to invest in herself and pursue her dreams as a writer um and then and that even carries through into like her relationship with arthur you know i think i can i buy that she doesn't need her husband to be some kind of romantic ideal of a man. You know, she's she's once again, she's pursuing her path. And this guy is somebody she met and is a good partner for that path. But she's not prioritizing these romantic ideals that we usually kind of expect rom-coms to prioritize. Mm -hmm. um, and, that, and that's what makes it so wonderfully complex and not simple. You know, and when when the second half of the movie happens in a in another movie, it would be just obviously go for the hunkier you know love of your life but she's not that character and that's not the choice that she would obviously make yeah yeah well and i love that i so the to jump to the end of the movie because i feel like all of that mm -hmm. it, it sets mm -hmm. up and then pays off and there's yeah the scene with them at the diner or at the bar or whatever that is um and yeah he has uh a line that's something like, I love you because you're someone who leaves. And I feel like yeah. that, that just like hit me. I'm like, wow, like that's such a great line. It's such a great time for the character to reveal that and say that. And it just captures the intractability of the situation and that bitter sweetness that you're talking about, Alex. Of like this life is sometimes like you can't have both things, but that's what reality is. And that's kind of when you feel alive. And I feel like that was just a really, I liked that that's where that ended up of like, you are who you are and I love you for that. And because you are who you are, we could have never been together. Like you're a different person yeah. and how that reflects on her side. Also of like that girl that you were in love with, like I left her behind too. Like I didn't just leave you, I left her. So it's also getting at like what you have to sacrifice for the things you want in your life. And mm -hmm. to me, that's almost what she's crying about at the end is sort of grieving mm -hmm. the other life that like you had to let go of. Like just all those things that get set up all like come crashing down at the end and it, it makes perfect sense and it just amplifies all of it. And is yes, very lovely. Even down to the fact that she is established as a, as a crybaby as a child in Korea, mm, mm. then says, I have not cried for since I can remember, and then cries. At the, and there's kind of like this right. integration yeah. moment mm, there of just mm. she's letting herself cry for all these things. Mm -hmm. And she's like also returning to that child for a moment. Yeah. And, and to your earlier point, we've also seen her as someone who 
takes what she wants, right? She takes her sister's, she wants to take her sister's name and she's sort of right. like being kind of blase about the fact that she's leaving. So then, so then it's important. It's more meaningful to see her make the choice to, to obviously, you know, stay with her husband at the end. But yeah, we got to get into this bar scene. Like it's so, it's so nuts. It's crazy. What I was talking about, have a movie where characters can just kind of say what's on their mind to each other and characters trust each other enough to, there's like, there's like very little, like secrets or anything in this movie. And yet this scene suddenly makes it feel like you've had these two sets of characters who've been up like these two are over here and these two over here, the whole movie. And then now they're all together in a room. And then now these things are coming out that feels like now this is the stuff that we wouldn't want to say to each other or that we wouldn't want to say in front of your husband but we're speaking different languages right and then of course like and the, like she starts by translating everything and then there's a moment where she doesn't translate but she just kind of looks at him and smiles like i i still see her here but i'm kind of doing that and then they're just doing that but then she's like you know oh he's talking about you now right but then it's like this weird sort of it's it's almost like if bitter and sweet are two different things it's almost like i'm having these two battling emotions that are one is Ooh, they're saying the they're saying the stuff now, right? And the other is, but they're in this sort of safe space where she does feel comfortable enough with her husband to be having this conversation, and she doesn't feel like they're like playing footsie under the table or anything. But it's like doing both those things at once in this really this really intense way for a scene <laughs> that's just kind of some people just having a conversation to bar. It's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I think this theme of like sacrifice that I think you brought up a second ago, Michael really resonates with me and Alex um, because that theme is set up like really, really early on as we're saying. Um, and there's this, um, that's always the question, right? Of the movie is like, what can you give up and what is, what things are worth sacrificing something for? Um, and like, she really sacrifices very little as you pointed out just there, Alex. Um, but there's this sense of like in all great characters, there's this sense of consistency in who they are longing for this idea that maybe they could be someone different. Mm. Um, and so she, in that montage sequence, when they're having like connection issues, you sense her frustration um, with the technology, but of course with their lack of like, where's this going? Right. Like, um, I was reading that Celine song, what literally had them Skype to each other essentially, or like in different rooms and like react to each other in real time. And then she would like mess up their connection, like at key moments nice. and force them to like deal with frozen frames and like, hello, are you there? Um, it was the internet for the whole city. She was just, yeah. <laughs> it's for a movie. But that's that theme of, that's connection, right? Or that's sacrifice, right? Like the time change creates that sacrifice. We see, he's like, you say you never get up before seven o'clock. And she's like lying in bed with her computer. And she's like, well, you know, I'm, that's, it's night there for you, right? You said this is the only time that works for you. She's willing to compromise. She's willing to sacrifice to an extent when she's younger. Um, and then as she gets older and older, she becomes less and less willing to sacrifice things. But there's this sense of, I wish I were someone who were softer, more willing to sacrifice things, more willing to give things up. It's interesting that when her husband is like, just don't run off with him, right? You're not going to run away with him. She's like, 
I have rehearsals. Like, obviously she's kidding, but she's not kidding, right? She has right. rehearsals. Like, right. which I feel so hard. Right. <laughs> yeah. Guys, I know this character really well. Mm. Um, as someone who moved 2,000 miles away from everybody that I know when I was 17 years old to move to Los Angeles. Uh, yeah, like, I have rehearsals. Uh, but... <laughs> It's there's this that theme of sacrifice comes up again and again. And I think it's really telling early on. And this is, you know, part of the complexity of the theme. And that's why I, we love a complex theme. Um, but she asks him, you know, flat out, why would you go to China? He's like, well, I want to learn Mandarin. She's like, you should come to New York and learn English. Like she tells him right there, don't go there. Come here and be with me. And he won't do that. He won't sacrifice that aspect of his like career, his ambition. He won't do it then. And then when she says, you know, like she puts it to him in that breakup conversation, essentially, when are you coming to New York? And he's like, well, it'll be a year and a half. And she's like, well, then no, like there, there comes a point where neither of them is willing to sacrifice something. And so then the fact that he comes back later there is a loveliness to it. But for me, I'm never like, I don't know. I, I don't know if I really feel from her character that there's any real danger of her going. I think right. there's, we've seen this consistency from her throughout where it's like, she's not going anywhere. What will happen? I don't know. Right. Will they like hug? Will they kiss? Maybe. Is she leaving with him? Absolutely not. Because that's not who the character is established to be. And I love that in a movie. Like, I love a movie that can explore the complexity and yet the consistency of a character at the same time while getting into this theme of, like, love requires sacrifice and, like, you know, um, as well as, like, timing and fate. Obviously, that's a theme in the text here, too. But, yeah, I just think that that's such a lovely, I don't know, I don't see this kind of... Um, realism i guess in like where is the conflict in the character it's not this surface like i'm gonna make a big dramatic choice thing it's just i'm gonna be who i am and i sometimes wish i were not this person <laughs> but i am this right person. well yeah and that's why i love like you called out alex that there is in her final moments there there does feel like maybe there's some kind of catharsis of some kind mm -hmm. or a grieving or some acknowledgement of the sacrifice that maybe she's been unable to do it doesn't mean she's going to change but that she has something in her has changed a little bit there's some kind of emotional evolution that mm -hmm. that this was important for her to have gone through well and the fact that she can express that to him to her husband right mm -hmm. you know it's mm -hmm. again it's the, the 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 hollywood movie is like she cries and then she goes back in and she's all smiles or whatever and she's like what's for dinner or you know whatever like that kind of thing uh but it's just it's just not that like it's it's a movie about about like she can have these complex emotions and be honest with him about it and that's also what makes their relationship strong mm -hmm. yeah it feels to me like what's changed for her by the end of the movie is it's not that she's going to do anything different with her life moving forward really it's just an acknowledgement of the sacrifice you know right. she, she has made choices that have made her life what it is and not another way uh because she was pursuing her goals and she, she doesn't seem like the kind of character that ever stops to feel that to feel what it means to sacrifice these things mm -hmm. um and so it, it does feel like yeah which what has happened is that she she feels it now and can process it 
in a way that's probably healthy. Yeah. It's like it's a very mature movie. It's so very, so lovely yeah. and mature yes. and nice. Like all the adults are adults that are just like trying <laughs> yeah. to adults in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. It's still like genuine and like yeah, vulnerable. Yeah. All the, yeah. Yeah. It's really good. Well, why don't we move to lessons and what lessons we're going to take away from past lives. Trisha, do you want to start us off? Sure. Um, I was struck this time around by the carousel scene um, where they are like walking in this sort of like touristy area, right? And um, I've been there. Are... I was really excited. I was like, I've been there. And then I was like, that's not special, Michael. That's a popular place in New York. But I was excited. <laughs> it looks, I've never been there. It looks magical to me. Yeah. It's, it films very well. Is that yeah. Dumbo? I think like... so. I think we went there. Yeah. Like, I think, yeah. Yeah. It was night. I was there. Last weekend. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize it was the same. Where have you been, Trisha? <laughs> wow. Sorry, guys. I really have not been there. Um, it looks very nice. Anyway, but I, I really appreciated that scene where they're talking openly about their relationships, right? Where he's kind of talking about his girlfriend, ex-girlfriend now, and some of their problems. And she, you know... He asks her flat out, like, when they get to that carousel, like, oh, did you guys date here? Like, when you, you know, she's like, oh, we used to come here all the time. Like, yeah, we did all our dating here. We also did all our fighting here. Um, I think that the dialogue in that scene is, is really fascinating. Uh, and in a way that some of the dialogue later bumps for me, that dialogue feels incredibly realistic. And I really appreciate it. There's a sense of um, honesty from the characters and at the same time, like they're doing th that dialogue is doing like expository work. We haven't seen his relationship with his ex. We don't know what he was like in a different relationship. We didn't see much of the romance between her and her husband, Arthur. And so like it's giving us context and background information, but of course filtered through their perspectives and of course filtered through the situation of how they want to present their relationships to each other. And that's always going to be like rich for acting moments. And like, it's just, a great little scene of like, Oh, you, you are, what happened with her? Like you should get married. You should find somebody. And he's like, well, I don't make enough money. I'm ordinary. Right. The thing about this in this way, it kind of reminds me of Casablanca where this movie very masterfully ties the problems of their relationships to like larger goals and things that they are connected to and things that they want. And so there's a sense of stakes to the love triangle um, and having seen her in all of her like ambitions and things that she wants um, knowing, you know, he asks her again, like, Oh, what do you want? Do you want a Pulitzer now? She's like, Oh, this time actually, I think I want a Tony. Um, there's tying, like, it's not just about like, do you care about this person? Do you love this person? But like, what else is at stake here and how you navigate the conversation those stakes are present, right? Where if one of them says the wrong thing or presents themselves differently, what they choose to reveal to each other um, could tip the scene one way or the other and the stakes could come toppling down. Um, and I just like how it's handled. I think it's great. 
Uh, I think that scene, I want to watch it. That's the one that like smooth sailing, no bumps. I think it's perfect. It's the thing that most reminded me of before sunset. Yeah. Because I feel like it's uh, a very similar situation, right? Of like time jump. They're seeing each other for the first time and how, as you're saying, how they reveal the information and what information they reveal is going to maybe tip their hand or not tip their hand. And so, as you're saying, there's all those stakes. And that, again, felt like a homage to me that also totally understood the assignment and was just going to do the good version of it. Um, Yeah. Really like that scene too. It's like in Before Sunset when she's like, oh, so you're married, right? It's like, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I have kids. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, Jesus, no. Yeah. 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 Uh, Awesome. Brian, what's your lesson? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking about this, this ending of this movie and, you know, I just, as we mentioned earlier, we've all seen movies where the character has to make a choice and often between two love interests. And usually it's very clear it's, oh yeah, get rid of this schlub and go after the person who clearly, you know, you're in love with like James Marston might be, might be a nice guy, but he's not the guy you should be with. That's six different <laughs> that's, movies. That's um, but, um, uh, three of them are X-Men. Um, so, but it's like. But then I've also seen movies where I don't care at all, mm. where there's like, oh, which which one are they going to choose? And I'm just like, I mm, doesn't really make a difference to me. Um, Downton Abbey did this Lady Mary when she had to did like three guys. They all looked exactly the same. And then eventually she's like that one. I'm like, all right. Um, but so, I mean, it's just it's really impressive for a movie where I just care about both relationships and I'm genuinely rooting for both. And, and I, and I genuinely feel, I mean, Trisha, you you know, you were saying things I didn't really think about in terms of it, it maybe doesn't feel like the right choice for her at the end, uh, to go to, to like, you know, do anything with Hey Sung. But at the same time, I'm just like, I'm kind of on board with either choice in a weird way. Like, I feel like I'm, I'm like either choice would give me like a satisfying movie ending while also being bittersweet because it also means the other one did, you know, and, and I just felt like you could sell me on either choice. Um, but that's exactly how I should feel. Right. It's like, I, as the audience, like thematically and emotionally, I should feel like, I don't know which way I want this to go. I almost was, was anybody else ready for it to cut to credits when they're standing, looking at each other before the Uber comes? Mm. I was like, braced. D- I hope yeah. it didn't go that way. And I'm, yeah. I'm glad it, I mean, it's kind of like anatomy of fall. Like it could have done this and I'm glad it didn't because it's a lot, you know, it's a cop out. Um, so anyway, my lesson is just, you know, if you want to write a story where the audience is genuinely conflicted about what character, the, what choice the character should make at the end, then, then you have to actually make your audience genuinely invested in, in both of those choices, you know? And like we said, to have her spend so much time with Sung in the first act, but then we, once we meet Arthur, we're like, he's great. He's not a jerk. Like they, they're really have a really strong and honest relationship and they're really comfortable with each other. Um, and uh, so, yeah, just make sure that both those choices are, are meaningful. And of course, just thematically, make sure your choice isn't just, I picked one, make sure it's actually saying right. something, right? Um, whichever, <laughs> I mean, you know, you, we've seen this like, like, oh, we didn't really know who they were going to end up with at the end. It's like, you didn't construct your entire story <laughs> around this choice, right? Um, or if the character chooses neither of those uh, choices, then like that is a, is a thematic thing you could be doing in a character arc thing, right? If you are going to, 
to cut to black before they make the choice. It's it might be probably a cop out. It's probably corny, but you can get away with it if it's like very strongly supported by by the theme. Um, so, yeah, that was just the thing I was thinking was just how impressed I am by this movie for making me just genuinely, genuinely kind of in love with both these relationships, which is exactly the headspace of the character. Yeah. Yeah. I've been trying to figure out how to get a hitch joke in here, but I, I haven't found a, a, a way. But if I, keep working I'll on keep it. Working It'll on be the it. first episode you haven't. I know. It's, I'm <laughs> disappointing everyone. What are we covering hitch? Exactly. Yeah. The people want to know. This is the number one tweet that we get. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The people is Michael Becker. <laughs> yep. People camped out on my lawn. <laughs> hitch. Um, yeah. Awesome. Cool. Alex, what's your lesson? Um, you know, we've talked about how this movie has strong themes and that's why it feels like it's about something. And it also is a great framing device, which is Inyan, which is, I guess is also thematic. Um, but the idea of past lives, the title, you know, Inyan, uh, the idea of anybody you meet in your life, uh, you've met them for a reason. And it's because there's some kind of karma idea from past lives, you know, you are meant to meet each other. Um, and, and I think that concept framing device in and of itself contains all the bittersweet emotions of the entire movie and i think it's just so cool to create a movie around a framing device that is itself like the whole movie (laughs) or or contains like the emotional resonance of the whole movie in the concept itself the that, that that concept is already kind of an emotional sad concept of maybe in another life you were married maybe in this life you killed each other whatever but right now you met on the subway and you hit a, a moment together and that's all you'll have in this life because you haven't gotten up in yen yet um and that's i just i love that it's it's both authentic to the culture and the character uh and it's also exactly perfect for the story it's very like like everything else in the movie this movie it feels very integrated it's all just like it belongs um so anyway, I think framing devices and kind of a, a cultural idea uh, can be really potent as like a, a tool in a movie, especially if they are as integrated as this one is, you know, culturally and thematically and emotionally. Uh, so, yeah, good job <laughs> <laughs> with the Indian thing. <laughs> yeah, I so my lesson has to do with that also because I was also struck by that and so to kind of just skip to the more utilitarian things, like I love that it's a concept that gets set up earlier in the movie when she's meeting Arthur, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's set up in a totally different context. So she's telling the story, but like in that moment, she's, you know, her last line is like, it's just the thing that Koreans say to like seduce someone and like kiss me, right? So we we learn all of that and it makes sense that she's like relaying that information in that scene. And then, yeah, pays off for all those reasons that you're talking about. And even almost like she, like uh, is a marker in her character arc, because I feel like she's maybe the one that brings it up in that bar scene. And so the first time we hear her talking about it, she's sort of like, oh, that's just a thing people say. But now she's bringing it mm. up in this context where it's like, no, this is extremely meaningful. And I love, I, I think my lesson is just like, again, simplicity can be so like rich and full of complexity and tension if constructed right. And so, yeah, that diner scene, like you were talking about, Brian, it's 
it's almost like they're trying to find a way to acknowledge the feelings that they've had this whole time, but they can't. Because if you ever say it like exactly like, I love you, I want to be with you, that maybe breaks everything, right? And so it's almost this like Rubik's Cube that they're trying to find. And somehow in this diner, in the situation, they find the framework that lets them say, you know, the in you and in another life, like maybe we were this, maybe we were that. And so I just love that it's also kind of the solution that kind of unlocks them mm. being able to finally acknowledge and say in some ways how they've like felt about each other. So just amazing construction start to finish with all of that. And, and also to let go because, you know, the last thing he says to her essentially, right, is, you know, I'll see you in the next life. Right. right. Yeah. And, and it, it's, it's almost that concept is going to allow them to move on right. because it's not, you know, maybe it's over in this life, but we always have the next life. And yeah. Which is that bittersweet thing yeah. too, because it's right. like, they're almost, they're almost saying like, we maybe, maybe we're done. Like right. maybe we've kind yeah, of, right. this trip has kind of closed our, that's closure this for chapter, both of us. Yeah. So right. see you next time. We have life. Arthur kind of saying as much to him also. Like yeah. Arthur kind of realizes like, oh no, it was good that you did this. Like, I think you guys needed right. this. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I love stories that are able to acknowledge that life is long and that mm. all of us mm -hmm. have a lot of stories, right? Like, I think that, again, gets at that bittersweetness of, like, putting in the text of your movie that you might have really profound, meaningful stories that you don't want to get lost in like the big overarching story of your life, right? Like when you think about the story someone's going to tell about you, like at the end of your life, where it's like, well, they went to this school and then they married this person and they had this number of kids and uh, they wrote these books and or these plays or whatever your thing is. And then they died. And that was like, that was their story. And that, we all have stories that are super meaningful to us that are really, really, uh, that shape us. Um, and movies that can acknowledge like, Hey, I'm a story that lasts two hours of your life, but taking that idea and putting it through this prism of all of these, all these other stories that we contain, I just think is such a rare and beautiful thing to do. Um, because we all have those, right? Like we all have those, uh, I call them near misses. Um, and, and then if you have one of these people in, in, uh, like a past lives person, I call that the profound near miss. Um, but like we all have those and they are also make us who we are. And the, the choices that we make about them are a part of our story too. And often, you know, if that's not the person we end up with, we don't get to tell those stories anymore. Um, and it's nice that this movie tells that story. Yeah. Very good movie. And it's a gift. And I'm very happy that you guys made me watch it. You're yeah. welcome. Um, so I want to hear what else you guys have been watching. But before we do that, uh, reminder that next week, Dune Part 2. Get, get thee to a theater for a very similar movie. Uh, a nice, quiet, go see uh, some big worms. Delicate movie. Um, uh, but yeah, what else have you guys been watching recently? Brian, what have you been watching recently? 
Um, yeah, I've actually had two movies that just feel that felt so related to each other that I wanted to talk about them once. And they feel kind of related to past lives. So um, both from 2023. Um, the first is Fremont, uh, which is about this young woman uh, who's an Afghan refugee and she lives in Fremont, California, working at a fortune cookie factory, which actually is like <laughs> a plot point throughout the movie. Um, and it's sort of, it's sort of quirky and a slice of lifey where we're just following her around for a lot of the movie. But then as it goes on, the story begins to reveal itself. The third act, Jeremy Allen White shows up and he's great. And then by the end, you're like, oh, yeah, this is like this is a movie. Uh, Reminded me a lot of Roma. It's um, it's sort of that kind of pacing and that feeling. It's black and white. Um, and uh, and yeah, I, I just really enjoyed it. Um, and it like stuck with me in a cool way. Uh, and then the second movie, which I liked even more, uh, was called Rice Boy Sleeps. Um, and also about uh, uh, people immigrating to North America, Korean mother and son uh, who immigrate to Canada. Um, and the movie is mostly about just their relationship. First, it's about her raising him when he's young, but then there's a time jump. And then it's sort of about how he is kind of viewing her and how his relation, how their relationship is changing over time. Um, and he becomes more of, you know, of a focal character and it's just, it is beautifully shot. It's really, it's like this entrancing mood and, um, and the story just pulls you in more and more as it goes, which I think is true of both these movies and of past lives where it's like a lot of the movie where you're just kind of like seeing a world, you know, we talked about this with Rocky, you're just kind of seeing a world, but then as the movie, like around the midpoint, you're just like, Oh, now I'm really, I'm finally like invested. And now I have like all the the stuff I need to get invested there to, to like bring me into the second part of the movie. And I feel like how many movies do we see these days where by the third act, we're just like, let's, let's go, <laughs> let's get it over with. Like you did all the movie already happened. Now we're just waiting for it to be over. And, and these movies just kind of feel like the opposite where it feels like I spend half the movie going, what is this? And then the second half going, Oh, that's what it is. Um, so yeah, Fremont and rice boy sleeps, uh, both really lovely movies. And I think if you, uh, if you like past lives, they're, they're, not at all similar, but they have they have a similar kind of vibe to them that I think uh, that I really appreciate. Nice. nice. Cool. All right. Alex, what about you? What have you been watching? Um, I watched Apollo 13 <laughs> recently hey! on Netflix because nice. um, I realized uh, my husband hadn't seen it. And I was like, we haven't <gasps> seen Apollo 13. Hey, or maybe he saw it and forgot about it. I don't know. But anyways, you have to watch Apollo 13. And so we watched it and. Yeah, it's a great movie. It's a, and it's a great like '90s movie. You know, it's we're, we mm -hmm. we had such a problem during our '90s uh, podcast trying to decide on ten movies, uh, and it's I'm sure so much of it has to do with our age, and that's the time when we realized what movies were, and so this is this is the archetypal era for movies for us. But there's also they just don't make them like this anymore. You know, it just <laughs> like it really, it's just like earnest and good and uh, really like amps up the tension in the final act and it, it, I don't, it's just like and the music's great the performances are great uh yeah paul 13 it's always a good watch so it's on netflix why aren't you watching it <laughs> i agree that's yeah that makes me want to go watch. have we not talked about that have we not we done haven't. an episode haven't. wow I remember seeing this movie in the theater with my dad when I was a kid, when it came out. Mm. And I remember in the scene where the wife loses her wedding ring down the drain when her husband is on Apollo 13 and it's a disaster. And I remember as like, I don't know how old I was. 
I just remember going like a symbol. It's a symbol. Yeah. Everybody. Did you see the symbol that she lost her wedding ring? She's so worried about her husband. The symbol happened. Even at that age. I love it. Yeah. Oh. Sir, can you please escort your daughter out of the theater? <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm listening to The Lion King. Can't <laughs> yeah, yeah. Soaking in my feelings. Not being useful. Also, I mean, I think part of what's so remarkable about the movie is just like this happened. Oh, like, yeah. What right. an insane actual real life story. Like you, it, it seems impossible that this happened yeah. <laughs> and it resolved this way. Yeah. So cool. So good. We'll talk about it. We have to. Um, Trisha, what have you been watching? So I wanted to recommend something that people who love past lives would also love. And that was delicate and subtle and, and lovely. Um, but I decided not to do that. And I've been watching Masters of the Air, which is I've heard the things. World War II. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the World War II Air Force um, war movie drama uh, limited series and starring Callum Turner and Austin Butler. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, bumpy is how I'm going to say it. It's pretty Screaming. bumpy. Yeah. Um, it's no band of brothers. Um, but it is interesting to see what technology can do these days, um, with the volume and like <laughs> a crew, a crew of, of, uh, men inside a B-17, um, and yeah, it's interesting, you know, as someone who knows, uh, an inordinate amount of, of World War II aviation history, uh, I think it's really fascinating. I think the portrayal of some of the, the missions is, is astounding, um, and really, tense and, and thrilling and all of those things that you would want um, if you're into this kind of thing. Um, the character work is not there. Um, <laughs> but the most recent episode, so today we're recording this on a Wednesday. Episodes are dropping Thursday. So the episode that's coming out tomorrow, I'm really excited about. Last week's episode, uh, which I believe was episode five, um, yeah, part five came out last week and I thought it was the best of the bunch so far easily. Um, so yeah, it's, it's this challenge of, you know, you have an ensemble cast and a really big, complicated, sprawling war thing. And then how do you do character and plot and all of that stuff within that? And it's also a true story. It's based on a memoir, um, by one of the guys who was there. So, uh, yeah, I think it's fascinating. Um, I think it's impressive looking for the most part. And uh, if you like past lives, you may or may not like Masters of the Air. <laughs> <laughs> the Venn Pen diagram may or may not work. Yeah. I might be the only person, honestly, and I'm like barely in the Masters of the Air part of that diagram myself. So <laughs> Those two movies have no Indian. <laughs> <laughs> no, they do not. Yeah. It, yeah. Just when you mentioned that show, it's like it, we talked about this on our True Detective episodes on Patreon, but just uh -huh. there's something happening with streaming, going on. streaming TV right now where shows that should be really good, like aren't Are feeling not. good. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. We should talk about it. This this one might be pulling out of its nosedive. I'm just saying. <laughs> At least there's that. That happens. There are plenty of shows that, just happen. that start bumpy and then end very strong. But but I think more often than not, yeah, we we're having to sit through long stretches of bumpy parts to get to the good parts. And yeah, can we fix that? 
I don't know. We, we can tried. fix it. The four of us. We. Let's talk about we it. Yeah. <laughs> what have you been watching, Michael? Uh, so I think Alex talked about this when it was still mid-season, but I just want to report back The Crown, season six. Hey! Oh, uh, yeah. So I, I watched it during Christmas with my mom, as I did the rest of it, uh, and but like wrote it down. I was like, I have to talk about this because it was just so impressive. So The Crown, season six, if you just want to watch execution at the highest level across the board, Great scenes, great writing, great acting, great themes, great everything. And going into this final season, you know, they there was a lot of stuff they were going to have to deal with, with the Princess Diana dying of it all. And then, you know... Spoilers. Spoilers, sorry, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, you know, the Queen died also while they were filming it. So, like... I was very ready to watch them trip and stumble across the finish line because, like, that's it just seemed like it was impossible for a story to to handle all of that with care and respect while also being an entertaining show. And my God, I'm so impressed by how they did it. it I was, it felt all those things deft, respectful, dramatic, uh, surprising. To, I, I don't know. It was it was a lot of really good things. And so I think if you just want to watch an example of how to do a good streaming TV show, uh, The Crown, all of it, and then all the way through Sticking the Landing, season six, highly recommend. I was extremely impressed. Yes. Yeah. I was going to say The Crown ha- was my most recent streaming TV experience where I just felt mm. like I was in ex- like extremely competent hands the entire time like i i trusted the filmmakers i wasn't a little bit wary of like uh oh i was just like no i'm in good hands i'm gonna sit back and just enjoy this because they got me and that's mm-hmm. a great feeling yeah since the first uh nine times that one of the three of you has talked about the crown and this time which i think is right around 10 mm-hmm. um i have watched all of the crown oh, uh, and it worked <laughs> finally yeah <laughs> And yeah, it's just like, it's just like, oh yeah, watching a show where every episode is about something. Like it made me appreciate Mm. like Mad Men more, um, like specifically why you guys like Mad Men and why I, what I didn't appreciate at the time watching it just because I wasn't really into the kind of style and the characters, but like, oh yeah, the like shows where it's just, here's an episode of television. We're going to open with some characters not even going to show up in the next episode because they're the main focal point of this episode and we're going to do a thing. We're going to do a story and that thing is going to happen. Meanwhile, we're also telling the next chapter in this ongoing season wide story, which is also telling that, you know what I mean? It's just like, yes, <laughs> that it just makes me go like, right. Why isn't all television like the this? Because this is the way you should do it and do well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we have episodes, we have shows where it's just every episode is like not even an episode of television. It's just right. this like act in, you know, an overall season, which can be fine. But the crown just makes it feel like nothing should ever try to do anything else. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, the really aggravating feeling when an episode's almost over and you feel like nothing's even happened yet. But right. now something will happen because we got to have a cliffhanger. It's just right. Right. Yeah. The crown is so dense with, you know, thematic richness and character change in every episode you never have that feeling i never feel like i need to immediately watch the next episode to get some story i've already gotten a nice juicy chunk of you know 
satisfaction. I can watch the next one at my leisure. Right. It was one of those rare shows where I put off watching the finale because I knew it was going to be so good. Mm. I just wanted to save it. I just mm-hmm. wanted it to be like I wanted to be there. And it was, it was the last, uh, so just, glorious. Just, the last scene. Uh, yeah. Good. Guys. Yeah. There are good things out there yeah. like The Crown, yeah. like Past Lives. And I'm very happy that we're getting to talk about them. Um, next week, like I said, we'll be back with Dune Part 2. Very excited to finally know What's going to happen next? I haven't seen anything. I've successfully managed to avoid all trailers. I know that there are some people in it, and that's that's all. So, And that people wear crazy outfits to the premiere. Uh, but otherwise, I know nothing. <laughs> yeah. um, so, yes, we'll be back next week with Dune Part 2. We want to say a big thank you to the patrons for making this show possible. Thank you very much. If you want to help us make more episodes and get access to our patron exclusive episodes like our conversation about acting, head over to the Beyond the Screenplay Patreon. The link is in the show notes. Thank you to our producer, Vince Major. Thank you to our editors, Donovan Bullen, Caleb Berg, and Jose Gomez. I'm Michael Tucker. I've been joined today by Trisha Rand, Brian Bittner, and Alex Cayeros. All of our Twitter handles are in the show notes. Send us a tweet and say hi, and we will see you in the next episode for Dune Part 2. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.